Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on Tuesday, April 27th, 2021. This is Shannon, and I am here to chat with you about this week's new books, as always, on Tuesday mornings. And before we do the new books, though, I am so happy to share with you an interview that I did with Kathleen West. If you listened to the podcast last year, Right around the time when COVID was first starting to hit, I interviewed Kathleen about her first novel, which is called Minor Dramas and Other Catastrophes. So this year, she's back with us to talk about her second book, and she's just so much fun. So I hope that you love this interview as much as I loved talking with Kathleen. Um, I'm going to, of course, give you the usual housekeeping information, and then we'll get right into it. Once the interview's done, I will, of course, tell you about all kinds of new books. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon. And today, I am chatting with author Kathleen West about her latest novel, entitled Are We There Yet? And this released in the U.S. on March 16th. So Kathleen, thank you so much for coming back to Book Bistro. Thank you so much for having me. It's so fun to be here again for this next Yes, book. yes. You were like my first author that I talked to as the pandemic got started last year. That's right. That that book came out in on February. Minor dramas. My first book came out on February second. So I had a few in person events before the whole world shut down, and now we live in a totally different reality. <laughs> yes, we do. So, can you give listeners a little bit of an introduction to Are We There Yet? Sure. Are We There Yet is about Alice Sullivan who is a mom in her late 30s who feels like her life is going pretty well and that she's got it all together until she discovers one morning that her daughter is severely behind in reading in the second grade and that her middle school-aged son, Teddy, has done something terrible at school um, and has become a bit of a bully. And his bullying behaviors um, really impact her relationships with her friends in the community and kind of change the trajectory of her life for for a good long while. Well, and one of the things that I really noticed about Alice as I read this is that 
her identity as this mother of these well-behaved children, um, this woman who had her life, as you say, all together, like those things really defined her. And so when she felt like that identity perhaps wasn't as accurate anymore, it seemed to have a really profound effect, not only on like her view of herself, but sort of how she viewed those around her. Yeah, absolutely. She, um, like her perfect, Alice's perfect children or the fact that her kids were um, well-respected and got good reports in school, she kind of held this belief that I think a lot of parents hold where um, if your kids are doing okay, it means that you're, you know, a good parent. Their report cards are your report card as a parent. And so um, when that kind of falls away from her or she, um, she encounters these stumbles, they take on a big sort of outsized importance in her life. Um, and she's forced to, to realize that her own identity and her kids' identity are in fact separate. So when you were writing, Alice, how was it for you to sort of inhabit that type of identity where somebody is so wrapped up in not only their own actions, but like the actions of their children and to be so so defined by those actions? It's a pretty familiar problem to me. I, I have two children and I, um, I've i been a teacher for 20 years, so I'm really familiar with this idea that parents tend to take on their kids' failures as their own failures and their kids' successes as their own successes. So it was an easy place for me to sit, um, but also in those roles, especially in my role as a teacher, I've come over the years to realize that this is sort of an unhealthy place to sit, that kids make their own choices, um, have their own successes and their own failures. And um, it was my goal to kind of point out the problems with that sort of um, close affinity with your kids and um, taking credit for their their great moments and then having to take the blame for their not so great moments. So it was an easy place to be. And I also had a, a clear idea of what I wanted to say about that place. So in minor dramas and other catastrophes, you dealt with kind of high school age kids and their parents. And then here we're taking a closer look at sort of the, the middle school age. Did you find one of these kind of um, kid groups like easier to write than the other? That's so interesting. I think the biggest difference in the kids in minor dramas, my first novel, um, the kids are pretty perfect. They they are the ones that are making sense and they're the ones that are making decisions that I think most people would say were good decisions, whereas the adults yes. are kind of falling apart. Um, and I really enjoyed writing that dynamic um, because I think, you know, we, we think of teenagers as sort of difficult, um, but these teenagers in minor dramas were really functional and um, age appropriate, but really doing pretty well. And then in this book, I wanted to flip that a little bit and write about kids making really bad choices and how that impacted their parents. So I wrote about middle schoolers really struggling. In general, I the kid voices come easy to me, I think because of my long career in education, I've spent most of my working life with um, kids all day, every day. So I have kind of kid voices in my head and I I understand, um, you know, where they are developmentally and what kind of thoughts different kids might have. Of course, there's a huge broad range of kids and how they react to different things. But um, these particular ones that I made up, I, I think are consistent with other kids that I have um, known in real life. So 
probably the biggest difference was not the ages of them, but just like the the propensity for making mistakes. In both cases, I really enjoyed writing the internal life of a teenager and young teenagers or tweens in, in this current book, Are We There Yet? and older teens. Um, I think parents or adults tend to fear that adolescent time frame, and I just really enjoy um, kids and adolescents. So I like elucidating their inner lives in a way that you know, adults could come to understand them. So as someone who is neither teacher nor parent, I was really kind of surprised at some of the things that the middle schoolers in Are We There Yet got up to. Um, I like there's a lot about, you know, things that can go wrong on the Internet, Um, a lot about like social media and these are things, you know, that when I think of, like, when my cousins were in middle school, and I was kind of like, ooh, like, did you guys do all these things? Um, I guess because, you know, when I was in middle school and high school, social media was not a thing. And now it's such a huge part of the landscape that we're teaching kids to navigate. And I think not only from your book, but just from things that I've, I've seen online and heard people talking about that sometimes that is like one of the biggest struggles that kids deal with. Yeah, social media has really changed a lot about how kids and adults interact. And I tend to be like a I was an early adopter of social media. I really enjoy using social media in general, but you have to use it in kind of a a logical and reasonable way. And logic and reason often fail us in moments of stress. And these kids are under a lot of stress in this book and um, their stresses are real and big about like fitting in and um, making a good impression and pleasing their parents and living up to their own expectations and the adults' expectations in their lives. And boy, they really make a lot of big mistakes. Um, And in terms of the mistakes, I think that these kids are pretty young to be making the mistakes that they do. Like it would be uncommon to find children who make all of these mistakes. Like you'll find one of them takes an unfortunately um, racy picture and sends it to um, some people via uh, Snapchat. There are some Instagram live videos. Um, and it's not like every single kid has this list of, of giant social media mistakes, but I think if you took like a group of 107th graders, you might find one that had, had had this kind of misstep. Um, just to assure you and maybe some of your listeners, I do think that the behaviors that I write about are a little bit more common in like eighth grade rather than seventh grade. So you might have a one year reprieve on, on some of this stuff. But it was really important to me that the kids be in their first year of middle school because the parents are feeling, the moms in the book are feeling pretty confident about their kids going to middle school. And they're like, oh, people said this was going to be so hard, but it's not so hard. And then I needed that kind of shock to come. So I didn't want them to have a good successful year of middle school under their belts. Um, So I kind of, I aged the kids. They're in seventh grade, but their behaviors are probably a little bit more eighth grade, if that makes you feel any better. Well, and I think it was really interesting to kind of watch like the spectrum of rules that these parents had regarding social media and like the ways in which certain people thought that it might be safe and certain people didn't. And yet it still largely affected these kids in some of the same ways. 
Yeah, you know, I think the rules were really interesting for me to think about and for me to make as a mom. This has been a, a pretty challenging part of parenting to navigate, I think. My kids are 17 and 12 now, so I've been in the thick of it with them with social media for a few years now. Um, and one of the moms in the book, Meredith, she is really strict, um, or she thinks she's really strict. She has she reads a lot of parenting magazines and books and feels like she's very well educated on what kind of rules will keep her daughter Sadie safe. And one thing I really enjoyed writing in the book was um, the fact that Sadie's the one that takes the the photo that I mentioned. And she, um, she does it because the boy who asks for it asks for it at like 8.57 p.m. And she knows that her phone will be turned off by her mom at 9 p.m. And I really believe that if Sadie had a little bit longer to think about it, or if she had a chance to text another friend and ask her what she thought about it, that she wouldn't have taken the photo. But because she knew her mom was going to turn off her apps at 9 p.m., <clears throat> she she felt pressure to make a decision in the moment. So I liked playing with the idea that sometimes the rules the parents set to keep the kids safe are actually what push them to, to make the impulsive decision. And, you know, that's something that I wouldn't really have thought about before reading this. You know, it's like, okay, you have these things in place and you are, at least in, in your mind, doing like your level best to keep your kids safe. And I guess we don't always think about the fact that like with rules come pressure and with pressure sometimes comes bad decisions. Yeah. You know, I don't know that I really thought about that before I wrote this particular scenario either. But I do think when you have, you know, parents, parents should, I think, set limits and talk with their children about rules and regulations. But then you are setting up a, a little bit of a system where the kids are automatically looking for ways around those rules. So I don't think the answer is to have no rules, but it is no. <laughs> it's important to remember that you are setting up a system where the kids are always looking for another little angle. An example, I have a seventh grader myself and they just went back now to in-person school and you're only allowed to get one dessert, right? That's a rule in middle school at lunch, you have one dessert. Okay. And his friend told me, he told me like yesterday, he's like, oh, my friend and I figured out a way that we could get two desserts. Does he need two desserts? Like, is he trying to really buck the <laughs> I'm like, no, but there's this rule that have figured out a way around the rule. It's like almost like a natural adolescent behavior. <laughs> so, well, you know, depending on the dessert, yeah, there is this like, maybe you need two. I used to work at their school, my kids' school. I taught there for years, and there is this really delicious, like, chocolate toffee pretzel dessert that I, I will admit that I went back multiple times for many desserts on that day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I suppose there there are much worse things than than having two desserts when you should have one. You would think, but like the, I think that's true. Like you're you have to know that rebellion or like limit testing is a really normal part of adolescence. And so, um, if you if you give your kids some opportunities to experiment with dessert doubling, <laughs> you know, or uh, bedtime fudging. Um, I don't know, maybe that could help with the the bigger choices, you know, like if you provide a little opportunity for a rebellion on a low stakes um, rule, maybe that could satisfy some of the the need to push back. I'd have to see what psychologists say about that, but maybe it's true. 
It would have been a very interesting thing. Actually, it's it's interesting that you mentioned psychologists because I was just going to segue into talking about Alice's mom. Oh, good. And she was, in a lot of ways, one of my favorite characters. I loved sort of watching her, like, really move between her identities as, like, a mother and a grandmother, but also trying to figure out like who she wanted to be for herself. I'm so glad that you said that she's your favorite, Shannon. A lot of people, a lot of readers have told me that they find her to be selfish or that they don't like um, Evelyn as a character. And I really do like her. I understand her. And I don't think that she's particularly selfish. So thank you for appreciating her. Um, she is trying to figure out uh, you know, she's a generation older. So she's this grandparent now and she's trying to navigate um, her role as a grandmother, her role as a mom, as you said, and then she she's reconnecting with a, a birth daughter that she placed for adoption before Alice was born. So she has this big secret that she's kept from Alice, and she's also forging this brand new relationship. So she is at a crisis point in her life as well, um, and she feels pressure too. She's been this child psychologist, and she's been an even presence in Alice's life and kind of prides herself on her practicality and her ability to reason her way through problems. And she's kind of put herself in the middle of this emotional firestorm that's exacerbated by Alice's son. And, and so she has a lot of problems too. Like she's at a, at a moment of self-reflection and change as well. So I think, you know, as far as people saying that she's selfish and that they didn't necessarily like her character all the time, I guess what I would say is, whereas I didn't like all of the choices mm -hmm. that she makes, um, they're, they're understandable choices. Um, you know, I felt like she had a big stake in Alice sort of accepting this new part of her family and she didn't necessarily have a lot of patience for the fact that Alice might not really want to do that. Yeah. And I think as a mom, like the way Evelyn sees herself as a mom, she feels like she has always put Alice first. So now she's at age 60 or whatever. Um, and she feels like her whole life has been about what's best for Alice. And she views most of her life choices in terms of her career and her marriage um, as being made with Alice, you know, forefront in her mind. And so at age 60, her kind of thought is like, now my life can be about me. And I really understand that impulse too. you know, like, um, how long do you have to be um, a mother in sort of a selfless way? And does that continue all the way until your children are in midlife? Um, and I think Evelyn's thinking about that and thinking about how to set boundaries. And, and all along the way, she makes her own mistakes or underestimates the emotional toll on Alice um, in a way that I think she could have done differently, but in a way that I, like you, also understand. Yes. So what is next for you? Oh, great question. I'm actually so excited about my next book. Um, I handed it in right when uh, this book, Are We There Yet?, came out, and it is called Home Plays and Away Games, at least right now. I'm terrible at titles, but we're at Home Plays and Away Games, and it's a novel. It's a, a little bit different. Um, in my previous two novels, I haven't really 
um, dealt with men as main characters. I've had boy children as main characters, but this next book has a, a dad as a main character. Um, and their story, his wife, Lee, was an almost Olympian in 2002. She was an elite hockey player and one of the final people cut from the 2002 Olympic team. And after she fails to make the Olympic team, her whole conception of herself falls apart. She quits hockey forever, goes to business school, and she and her husband um, start raising a child who then falls in love with hockey. So she's forced to re-enter the hockey scene. And oh. Minnesota. Minnesota, I'm from Minnesota. Hockey's huge here and the hockey world is very small. So when she comes back, she has to face former teammate, former coach um, who know many of her secrets from her playing days that her husband does not. Oh, yes. It's different for me, but I really, yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed it. It still has some of that like suburban drama. We're back in Liston Heights, which is a fictional suburb that minor dramas was set in. And um, so we've got like hockey association drama, but then I also really delve into this marriage and I have some flashback chapters to what happened at the O2 Olympic um, selection camp. So a few different elements. So are we looking then at like next, like late winter, early spring? They're saying March. So I'm waiting for edits from my editor. She's a genius and I'm sure she'll have some really great suggestions for me. So I expect to edit the book this summer and then it will be out next March. Awesome. I will definitely be keeping an eye out for this. I'm not a huge like sports fan in, in real life. I don't um, be a sports fan to enjoy the book. I had a few readers um, I wanted to make sure that it had wide appeal. Like I wanted to do a good job with the hockey because being from Minnesota, I needed the hockey to be realistic. So uh -huh. I, I had a lot of help there, but I also, my, the primary person that I write with on a regular basis or my critique partner on a regular basis is not a sports fan. And so she read all the chapters and I think with her stamp of approval, I can say that the emotional arc and the drama of the marriage will appeal to all. I hope. Well, and there's something about like reading about sports. Like I have recently discovered um, the romance novels of Kennedy Ryan. And one of the series that she writes deals with some basketball players, oh. for example. And so whereas I don't necessarily want to like hang out and watch basketball. Um, in fact, I really don't want to do that. But I, I find that when something is well written and engaging like the sport element is sort of part of the plot but it's not something where i'm like oh my gosh like now i'm just reading pages and pages and pages of basketball yeah i think that the, that's what this book is like like if you liked bear town by friedrich backman like um or you know there are several books where sports is like a an element but not the main my husband loves sports and he read a recent version of this and he's like okay my suggestion is more hockey. Now it doesn't, <laughs> don't, you don't need to connect it to the plot, just more hockey. I'm like, I don't think that that's going to be like, <laughs> so what have you read lately that you think the world should know about? What a great question. Um, it's my favorite question. <laughs> in between the time that I uh, turned in my book and now I've been catching up on some reading that I've been doing about books that are coming out soon. So actually, oh. 
spreadsheet here, so I'm going to just click it open so I don't forget. Um, I just finished reading Amy Reichert's The Kindred Spirit Supper Club, which just launched on April 20th, which is yesterday. Um, I'm talking to her tomorrow. Oh, great. Okay. That's charming and delightful. Your readers will get to hear all about it. And I really love books that have like some ghost or spirit element. um, And that book has that. So it's lovely. Another recent favorite of mine is a book by Megan Collins called The Family Plot. Oh, yes. I'm looking forward to that. That is Okay. Megan is one of my favorite suspense writers who's working these days. And uh, I really admired her first two books. But I have to say The Family Plot, which is out in August, is my favorite of her three. And it is about a family that's obsessed with true crime. And then they have their own true crime problem like they're a brother who has disappeared and some old murders that kind of surface and it's in this like um house on an island it's very atmospheric and uh, I just tore through that book so really really enjoyed it um and then I guess I'll mention two other books that are coming out soon if that's okay uh-huh. <laughs> looking at my spreadsheet um I love Colleen Oakley's The Invisible Husband of Frick Island that- oh that looks really good Okay, that has another ghost spirit element to it. And it is about a woman who lives on this island, young woman who's who married her like a high school age sweetheart. And then um, like when they were 20, they got married and he um, disappears. He's a, a waterman on this island that's in the Chesapeake Bay. And he disappears fishing one day and is presumed dead, but she doesn't accept that he's dead. And the whole island, which is like 30 people, pretend with her that he's still there oh kind of creepy but it's not creepy it's kind of like sweet and then this journalist comes from the mainland and he uncovers this kind of mystery about the town he's looking for a story about climate change and he finds this story about the invisible husband so that's just you know utterly delightful um and then finally my friend laura hankin has a new book out called a special place for women Oh, I'm so excited for that. That one, if you like, I love like secret society. Yes. Um, kind of. This has a secret society. It's a lot like Andrea Bartz's The Herd or a similar vibe to that. Which oh, I- okay. Mm-hmm. And it's got a journalist who's uncovering the secrets behind this elite women's Manhattan society. So highly recommend. So at the time that I'm talking to you, um, we recorded our most anticipated books of May episode last night, actually, and A Special Place for Women was on that list. Yes. Well, I think um, I think people will really like it. It's got like a serious twist in the middle, and it was a twist that I loved. Afterwards, I messaged Laura. I met her um, in fall of 2019 when we were both kind of getting ready to launch our, our 2020 books. And um, she said, oh, I'm so happy to hear from you. Like people either love or hate that twist. And I loved it. So. I really loved her 2020 novel. Um, it was just so like kind of soapy and like. Edgy. Uh, yes. Yeah. It has like an edge to it. And I think Laura's in her early thirties. And I feel like to me, these books feel really like authentic to how I felt in my, in my twenties and early thirties. And she's got like a funny edge to her, but also like a big heart. And that's exactly what this next book has too. I really enjoyed um, chatting with her last year when uh, happy and you know, it came out. Yeah, It was 
just she had so much insight sort of into the like parenthood scene um of of new york city and yeah. things again that as you know someone who is not a parent like i i just don't know these things and laura's not a parent either but she was a, ch- a children's music like a birthday party musician and yes which is like perfect for her um and she's such a fun follow on instagram so go find laura follow her she plays her guitar and is so cute and you'll love her books yeah, she's, she's pretty excellent. I am definitely excited for a special place for women. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to chat with me about Are We There Yet? It really <clears throat> was a pleasure to read, and I'm so looking forward to your next book. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. You asked such good questions, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Can you let listeners know the best place to find you online? Yes, I'm on Instagram at Kathleen West Writes, and I'm on Twitter at K West Books. And if you Google me and like write Kathleen West Books, like I'll just come up on the internet and you'll be able to find me. And I love connecting with readers, so feel free to DM me or tag me. And um, yeah, I love that. Awesome. Okay. So let's talk about new books. This is going to be kind of a romance heavy episode, although there are some other things as well. So if you're not a romance reader, you don't necessarily have to heave a giant sigh and think that, you know, I'm only going to talk about romances that won't interest you. However, if you are a romance reader, definitely hang out with me for a few more minutes because I do have some great romances. So I'm going to start out, as always, with a couple of books that you've heard us talk about before. One of them is the new Vanessa Riley in her Rogues and Remarkable Women series. This is An Earl, The Girl, and A Toddler. Um, It is the sequel to last year's A Duke, The Lady, and a Baby. And I am so, so excited to read it. We then have a kind of um, contemporary romance slash women's fiction. This is The Road to Rose Bend, Rose Bend Book One by Naima Simone. And this is a book that Stacy talked about on our most anticipated Books of April episode. All right, so now let's talk about new books. I want to start out with some kind of science fiction-y books. Um, The first one that I want to mention is the End of Men by Christina Sweeney Baird. And this is sort of post-apocalyptic. There was a plague that is targeting men. And as a result, society is changed. And this book kind of looks at what happens when a part of the population is sort of winnowed down. So this again is The End of Men by Christina Sweeney Baird. Then... We have a book that will make Mika very, very happy. Mika has been on a crusade to get a bunch of the book beastresses to fall in love with Murderbot. And the sixth book in the Murderbot series is out. This is Fugitive Dilemmatry by Martha Wells. Um, I think the first three, at least the first three are novellas. And then I think... There is a fourth, like, full-length novel. I'm not sure about the fifth. And this one is also looking like a full-length. So if you love Murderbot, um, you should 
definitely read this and make Mika a very happy person. This is Fugitive Delimitry, Murderbot, book six by Martha Wells. And now let's talk about some romance mixed with magic because I'm really excited to tell you about The Beautiful Ones by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. Um, she wrote Mexican Gothic last year. And this one is about a young woman who is a telekinetic. And she's always kind of trying to keep this under wraps. Um, the society that she lives in is pretty judgmental. And when she meets a fellow telekinetic she finally starts to feel like maybe there's a place for her in the world but there's all sorts of scandal and intrigue and I'm really looking forward to reading this it is The Beautiful Ones and it is by Silvia Moreno Garcia then let's talk about some more romance here um, Meet Me in Another Life by Catriona Sylvie this kind of reminds me of The Time Traveler's Wife, and I really don't like The Time Traveler's Wife, but I know that a lot of people do. I also think that, you know, just because I didn't like that doesn't mean I won't like something that's kind of similar. But this is about a man and woman who meet each other at different points, um, sort of in the course of their lives, and they don't really understand why they keep sort of metaphysically encountering each other. Um, so if you liked The Time Traveler's Wife, um, you might want to give this a try. And even if you didn't, if you're kind of intrigued by the whole idea of like time travel, this might be a good book for you. It's Meet Me in Another Life by Catriona Sylvie. And let's talk about some contemporary romance now. This is The Seat Filler by Sarai Wilson. And it is... A romance between a movie star and a dog groomer. Um, if you're a dog person, if you love romances that have a lot of animal characters, you might want to check it out. It's The Seat Filler by Sarai Wilson. Picnic in Someday Valley. This is Honey Creek Book 2 by Jody Thomas. And I always think of Jody Thomas as writing these like Western kind of cowboy romances. And there was a time when I read a bunch of those. I haven't in a number of years, but Jody Thomas is still an author who kind of stays on my radar just because her writing is so, so lush and evocative, and I just fall into her stories whenever I pick one up. So this one is Picnic in Someday Valley, Honey Creek, Book Two by Jody Thomas. Okay, I am so excited to talk to you about this next book. This is Dial A for Aunties by Jessie Q. Sutanto. And she has written um, a couple of things for young adults, but this is her first book for adults, and it is such an incredible romp of a book. It's like a rom-com mashed up with a murder mystery and such excellent family dynamics. Um, I don't really like books that are, are funny usually. That's just not my thing. But this one was funny in such a, a smart, like, I don't know. Just it, the, the humor totally worked for me. And usually that's not a thing that happens. But I love this so much. Please pick it up. It's Dial A for Aunties by Jessie Q. Sutanto. 
And we have a new series. This is the Introvert's Guide to Online Dating, Introvert's Guide Book 1 by Emma Hart. I don't think I need to tell you too much about this. Online dating, right? Yeah. Um, I love how technology has made its way into so much of our fiction. And so we have a lot of books now that deal with dating apps and podcasts and other forms of social media. And I think it's very excellent. So this one is The Introvert's Guide to Online Dating, Introvert's Guide, Book One by Emma Hart. And we have Anchored Hearts. This is Keys to Love, Book Two. It is by Priscilla Oliveras. I think Stacy has read one of her books um, and really liked it. I own a couple of them. I have not read them yet. This is about first love and second chances at happiness. It's about finding your place in the world. And it just sounds like the perfect book to snuggle down with on a spring evening. This is Anchored Hearts, Keys to Love, Book 2 by Priscilla Oliveras. And let's get a little bit historical here to talk about Letters Across the Sea by Genevieve Graham. This is another author that has been on my radar for a while, and I own a couple of her books. They are these fantastic-looking World War II sagas. This one is about a Protestant girl and her Jewish neighbor and how they fall in love kind of right on the eve of World War II. This is Letters Across the Sea, and it's by Genevieve Graham. And let's talk about some young adult for a moment. I have one young adult book that I'm really excited about this week. It's called Between Perfect and Real. It's by Ray Stoff, and it is the story of a trans boy and sort of his journey to finding out who he is, how, how his new identity kind of fits into the world around him, and showing him that he is perfectly able to be whoever it is he wants to be, and he doesn't have to change in ways that don't make him feel comfortable. So this is Between Perfect and Real, and it's by Ray Stove. And I'm going to wrap up with a few thrillers. Um, the first one is The Day She Died. It's by S.M. Friedman. It is about a near-death experience that brings up a whole bunch of repressed memories for this woman. Apparently, she had a very, very traumatic childhood, which she managed to kind of block out so that she could keep living her life. And now these memories are kind of coming up for her, and she's trying to unravel them and understand kind of what's true and what might be figments of her imagination. This is The Day She Died, and it's by S.M. Friedman. We then have Gone Too Far, Devlin and Falco, book two by Deborah Webb. I really like Deborah Webb's Faces of Evil series um, about a cop in a small southern town. Um, I've read a couple of her other series as well, but I think Faces of Evil is my favorite. So this one is Devlin and Falco. It's another kind of like procedural novel. Um, a little bit of romance, a lot of mystery. I like Deborah Webb a lot. I know that Brooke reads a lot of her stuff too. So you should check this one out. It's Gone Too Far, Dev Devlin and Falco, book two by Deborah Webb. 
And last up, we have kind of a mixture of women's fiction and mystery. This is The Others. It's by Sarah Blau. And it's an Israeli novel um, about four women who have all vowed, for various reasons, not to have children. And apparently, as they're grappling with this choice and kind of how other people view them and the choice that they've made, all kinds of secrets are brought to the surface. So this is The Others by Sarah Blau. And that, my friends, is all I have for you today. I hope you are staying safe and healthy and that you're reading a ton of great things. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.